The big one, Scarlet Swamp. Title track time. Title track. And what a, I was going to say like gun of a track, but it's like a cannon. It, it blows mm. you away. Yeah, well, it gave us enough of a conversation to warrant doing this episode a little differently than we've done the last couple, which is exciting. Yeah, slightly different format. We're going to talk about this track, and we between us we have a few different ways of looking at it, and so we're going to go through the lyrics chunk by chunk, and Bailey will explore the Indigenous perspective, or that kind of narrative yeah. of the First Nations people that Tori is exploring through this track. Um, I want to set up that I have no authority, you know, in, oh, in yeah. that sense. It's just more that when I listen to a song, for me, it's very much tied to um, my understandings of cultural inclusion and cultural sensitivity and cultural safety. So when we were sort of talking, I came at it a lot from that angle and what I've been learning over the over my travels, over, over this journey about relations with Indigenous people and people of colour, that's kind of really stuck out to me a lot and it was a great opportunity to talk about some of those things when we did this track. Oh, yeah. No, it was more that it's very obviously about those things. Yes. And so for the purpose of this podcast, you that, will represent yes. that narrative. Yeah. Uh, and I will explain the way that I connected with it as a younger person in a relationship, not necessarily paying attention to that narrative. Mm. I was very much making this song about me and the relationship I was in. And so if you were to separate the art from the artist or anything like that, then it's open to interpretation. And we also talked about, you know, we'll sort of have a bit of a third yes. interpretation of it, which is really about how this song for us is very critical to describing what it is that we're doing. Yes. It will play out nicely in illustrating how we're feeling on Michael's Walk. Mm. Hi, I'm Michael Earp. And I'm Bailey Turner. Welcome to Michael's Walk, the podcast. Michael's Walk is a road trip, a search for something. Spoilers, it's myself, and it was inside all along. If only it were that simple. Driven by Tori Amos's album, Scarlet's Walk, I'm recreating the journey Scarlett took in its 20th anniversary year. I'll also be there. With the loving and patient... Always patient. ...support of Bailey and Teague Lee, three trans queers set out across America... That's 33 states in 55 days. ...to connect with the songs, the land that inspired them, and the fans inspired by the songs. We'll talk music, travel, healing, and hope as we ask the questions... How do I heal from 15 years of coercive control and manipulation? And what role does the music we listen to play in our own relationship narratives? We've self-produced this podcast and trip. You can support us via GoFundMe. For the full story, head to michaelerb.net. Well, should we get stuck into it? Or should we kind of do our little city... Yeah, let's do a little bit of let's set the scene. Set the, set the scene. scene as we were. Sicily, nineteen twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Picture it. Everything is in black and white and sepia. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no, um, on the map, on the Scarlet's Walk map, the Scarlet's Walk track stretches from Savannah in Georgia up zigzagging back and forth 
through the Carolinas to Virginia and changes colour in Roanoke. So we travelled from Orlando in Florida and we did a pretty direct route up through the middle of Georgia to get to Atlanta. And so that's kind of where we picked up Scarlet's Fork uh, and then drove uh, the sort of morning after through the Carolinas um, and into Virginia. So we kind of picked up, picked it up there. Mm. And it was an interesting kind of situation because when we, you know, we, this is obviously, it's been a little bit of, of time now. We're now in Massachusetts. So we've had like an incredible, you know, it feels like a world ago that we were in Florida, but it really was only a week or two, yeah, a week, week and, and a half. half. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is Bailey talking. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we've had a few people say that it can be difficult to tell us apart. And uh, to which I said, they're the lady talking. And That's I'm, Michael. <laughs> and I'm the Thady. <laughs> the Thady <talking>. <laughs> <laughs> um, So look, do your best. Um, but yeah, so we, for, to sort of set a scene, we had all reunited in Orlando under quite intense circumstances where Roe versus Wade had been overturned that morning. And mm. then we were trying to get Michael back to us which didn't happen until quite late that evening. Yeah, we talked a lot about that in the... We did, Another Girl's Paradise. Paradise. Um, but to kind of... I wanted to sort of bring that back because by the yeah. time we got into Atlanta, I don't know about you, but I was exhausted and really dispirited in some way. And it was really starting to... I think when we drove through Georgia, um, you know, it was our sort of first experience of the Deep South. We had a little bit of a possible incident in a gas station. and oh, Yeah, that was um, interesting. Ate some... I like got hit on by a married guy like in front of his wife and children at like a Bojangles, at a Bojangles. like it was, it, we were all in very odd head spaces and I was definitely back on my like tortured grinder journey <laughs> that I was trying to figure out. And we wound up at a, um, we met at this great gay club, which I definitely want to hear your thoughts about because yes. you had a, you, we had a great time. Um, so, yeah, let's do Atlanta and then we'll talk about that sort of drive through the Carolinas. I just feel like special. I need to say in this moment that I've just come across a grinder profile here in Holyoke, Massachusetts, that their handle is AHS Grinder, which stands for <laughs> American <laughs> Horror Story Grinder, and I think it's just so perfect. I. It'll 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 happen. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was just too good. Anyway, where were we? Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. We went well, out. Well, we ha we cannot go on without thanking the incredible Garrett. Of course, sweet sweet Garrett, who unfortunately was unable to make the three and a half hour drive from lazy bitch Knoxville to Atlanta just to take us out for dinner <laughs> as hard as he tried to he really really he wanted really to did make try. that work it was so sweet but in the end because he was called into work he simply couldn't for timing reasons drive uh, eight hour turnaround for spending one hour with us mm. um, but he so did shout us dinner and suggest the restaurant we went to was delicious. So good. And turned out to be a five minute walk from where we were staying. Yeah, R. Thompson's, I think it was. Yeah, R. Thomas. Thomas, yeah. It was like this like kitschy kind of 
Mexican Spanish kind of like oh so place. quirky. The waiter literally was like, the waiter made a joke about the drink I was ordering, and then when I finally got the joke, he was like, I'm just fucking with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, we're in a very different kind of like establishment for hospitality. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, such a delicious dinner. Thank you for dinner and yeah. the recommendation, yeah, thanks, Garrett. Garrett. Your uh, southern has- hospitality did not go un... un- yeah. Unappreciated. Yes, that's the word. That's a good bell. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But we also got recommended to go out to Blake's on... Blake's on the park. Well, we Googled Gay Atlanta and... We've done this everywhere we go. We're like, everywhere. Gay Albuquerque. Let's yes. just see what comes <laughs> see up. See what comes up. And Blake's on the park was the number one hit for Gay Atlanta. Mm. And so we went there and it was... Pumping the street corner because there's a few clubs really close together there, mm. and they were all heaving out onto the sidewalk. There was so many people, and it would be remiss of me not to point out that they were 95% African American. Yeah, which I just it was so beautiful to see all of this gay black love and joy. They were all enjoying each other's company. Yeah. Shouting out, catcalling each other, mm. like jokes. And then when we went inside Blake's, it was just, everyone was having a great time. It was like, we were, we talked about the fact that it was one of the few gay clubs, certainly that I've been to in a long time, where you're talking maybe 5% of the attendees are on their phone. That's it. Like, it's oh, like, yeah. like you could, you could pick like maybe three people in a, in a crowded room. Everyone was chatting. Everyone was up. Everyone was alert. Everyone was, it kind of took me back in time, like back when a time where you could actually openly flirt with someone. You like, you saw people just walking up to randos and being like, Hey, you're like delicious. And like, and then having a bit of a dance or having a bit of a, you know, nah, no thanks. I'm here with my friend. And then it was like kind of all good. You just don't kind of see that stuff a lot anymore. It's so... It's so cold and it's so kind of like shamey nervousness. And I'm like, it's just, it was so great to see a place that was just, everyone was just having a ball. It was great. And talking to someone online, they were saying that Atlanta is kind of a mecca for gay black men. Mm. And so in retrospect, I was like, well, I certainly experienced that when we were there. And it was a beautiful thing to see. I was... Yeah. Mm. What a joyous short two drinks we yes, had. Yes, we had in Atlanta. And, and then went to sleep because we'd driven for eight hours. Knackered. <laughs> um, and we headed off quite early in the morning. And our plan was to get in to Newton and see where the incredible Therimus was born. Yes. You may know her um, if you're listening. Oh. You know, some. If not, She's Google. a minister's daughter. <laughs> she... <laughs> um, so... T was born in um, Newton, North Carolina. We had initial designs to be those creepy psychos who went past the hospital, but that didn't quite bear And then I just started pointing at houses and being like, maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe that's her house. Was she born there? Was it a home birth? Looks like <laughs> <laughs> We were ready to like neck Michael by the end of the It was, you know, it was so brilliant. But because there's very little information on the actual birth of Tori Amos available to the public. Because she's not, you know, Buddha. Or um, like... <laughs> we found a gorgeous park in the middle of town, mm. sat, had some peaceful, a peaceful sandwich that we'd bought 
Um, a peaceful sandwich. A peaceful sandwich. <laughs> a peaceful sandwich. <laughs> well, I can't it was, with you. It was peaceful and it we was, were eating a sandwich. Lovely. We did have a good time. And um, just reflected again on uh, the trip and how this town was where it all began before we began. Mm-hmm. I think my favourite sort of, mem- one of my favourite memories from this whole trip um, took place the when we crossed into South Carolina. It was like over this big body of water. I couldn't tell you what it was now. I think it was Lake Hartley. It was like let's have a bit of a stop um, here, and so we stopped and went and took these beautiful photographs. And actually, like it was like oh, nuts. Yeah, so took my beautiful. shoes off and went and stood in the lake, and it was the best thing I could have ever done. It was so grounding and just kind of gave that moment of presence. And so we ended up like kind of. You and I kind of stood in the water for a bit and he mm. took some photos and we just had a really nice chill chat and a, like this beautiful yellow monarch butterfly appeared oh, and it was yes. just, it was just like one of those, we've, we've observed that we've been noticing a very, some very key differences and this is feeds into Scarlet's Walk perfectly between when we're in more natural spaces in America and how we feel in those versus when we're in these big pumping cities yeah. And these sort of densely populated areas and trying to sort of connect to culture based on... Like, but we're trying to connect to human culture versus yeah. natural culture. And then when we're in natural spaces, I find myself connecting with myself mm. so much better. It's like the city lights and the people distract you from who you are. Mm-hmm. And you're so caught up in looking around at everything. Whereas... In nature, it's just, hi, I'm beautiful and I'm not yours. Mm. And you can't own me, so just enjoy me and leave. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, find a place inside yourself to store the yes, memory of me. Absolutely. Um, and, there, and, and in so doing, you may need to exit something that is occupying negative, you know, something mm. gross that's occupying space. And that was, it's been a really powerful experience for all of us. Yeah, that was great. And coming into Virginia, the lush green Virginia Hills yes. was, once again, just as beautiful. We'll talk more about that in the Virginia episode, which is yes. next. But um, there is a bit of the Scarlet's Walk line in this in the state of Virginia. So, um, right, I'm before we wrapped up in Roanoke, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, let's get into this track, shall we? Oh, goody. So this all began because when we were talking about, and we've been doing the planning of these podcasts while we're driving, which has been perfect. And you asked me, what does the phrase leaving terror mean for me? Like, why, what does that kind of, what does that connote? And this is kind of where we realized we had, a, we had that sort of difference of how we related to the song. So for me, it was talking about what happens when you displace populations of people and they literally have to leave their land and the word terror means land and you know it was was, Tori is very connected to the notion and and the real you know not the reality but writes a lot about the trail of tears and makes a lot of references to it which is you know a huge Mm. displacement of Native American people to missions part of her own heritage that's right as um, a part Cherokee I believe yes so that's what it meant to me yes um, leaving terror always for me in an emotional state, looking at this song from a relationship perspective really meant more along the lines of leaving home and almost 
especially because of the way she sings it. Mm. Like her voice as she sings Leaving Terra is almost like when you have a disassociative experience. Yes. So like the segregation of body and soul mm. or yeah. um, whatever that lyric is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Leaving Terra for me really speaks to leaving yourself and what what you see when you look back on yourself from a distance, whether you had a say in that separation or not. Mm, right. So if you're a thought, you will want me to thank you. And I did. Invited a guest up until you announced that you had moved in. So for me, this was very much a, I was an 18 year old who had this idea of love and affection and relationships and commitment and longevity and uh, life partners and I had all of these ideals in my head mm. that had been instilled in me from birth mm. that two people together was like for their entire life was the true and proper only way to go about things yeah and so I had come to terms with my gayness by jamming it into that mold. So as long as it was, don't give me that film. <laughs> <laughs> jamming it in, my God. Sorry, no, carry on. <laughs> um, like as long as the gay relationship that I was in ticked all the rest of the boxes. Was heteronormative and, and fit. Then I could, I could reconcile that with my upbringing. And so thinking about relationships, I, you know, I wanted to think it and I did. I went straight into that married, settled, monogamous lifestyle. Mm. And I invited my ex into my heart. That's how I read that line. Mm. I invited him in until it turned, until he announced that he had moved in and claimed it as his own. Yes. Wow. When we talked about this line for me, the, if you're a thought you would want me to thank you is those moments in life where you look at something and you kind of have to acknowledge that there's a, a racist or, you know, a, a eugenic motion in the piece. Oh, that's Bartlett. Bartlett! No. <laughs> so the idea of if you're a thought, you will want me to think you, it's, it's the kind of conscious awareness that something is wrong or inherently racist or inherently privileged in a scenario. Um, and far too often what will kind of cause that is death. You know, it's one of the most shocking things to our society. Um, but it's that, that idea of, you know, what we've come to term wokeness, which has been sort of twisted into its own meaning, but like, to be awake to this injustices in the world, mm. if, if it's a thought, it wants you to think it, it wants to be known, you know, it, that, that kind of truth wants to be known. And, you know, we're having these conversations now about reproductive rights that women don't have. And there are a lot of people or people of colour and Indigenous people saying, actually, Handmaid's Tale has been our life. It's not actually a future thing or like a possibility. We're living that right now. Then, you know, that's, that's kind of where that comes from. But, and of course, 
I love that it kind of kicks off with that as, as a sort of impetus for you to think about those injustices and racism in particular. And then to sort of start from there by talking about how Indigenous cultures were initially incredibly welcoming of people who mm. said they were guests yeah. and they would come to visit and to explore and discover and to educate um, and to trade. You know, all those, those initial kind of interactions were, as we understand them, quite friendly. And to this day, you know, we have in Australia, you know, a welcome to country is a really common reminder of that, that Indigenous people are constantly welcoming white people onto their land on the proviso that they respect the land. And yeah, and that's, that's where the, that's the issue. Yeah. The issue is not that white people are there so much as what white people have done and how they've betrayed the children of the, of the Indigenous spirits of that land. The next stanza is it's it's strange to love an artist so much yet be able to pinpoint a lyric that actively kept you in an abusive relationship mm. but this song this next stanza and the echo of it later in the song is what i drew on to make my decision to keep giving this a go to keep trying because it says what do you plan to do with all your freedom the new sheriff said, quite proud of his badge. You must admit the land is now in good hands. Yes, time will tell that you just lift your lamp. And it was that, what do you plan to do with all your freedom? That said to me, what, what's the point of freedom if you have no one to share it with? And so I kept on reneging my own freedoms handing them over to the, this person who had become the authority figure in my life, was very good at subtly dictating what I did, but then making me feel like it was my decision. Mm. So much manipulation and control to the point where I genuinely believed that not having experiences and not following my own happiness was fine because I had someone to share my life with. Mm. And we were together, we were committed to each other. This is what we kept saying over and over. We were, we were a team, a, a unit. We like, like relied on each other. It's I mean, us against the world kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And so anything that threatened us I started to see as a threat to my own happiness mm. because I, I couldn't imagine my life without him and therefore I was far too scared to imagine or to pursue any kind of happiness that might have come without him. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. If we took, you know, um, one of the words of the day that you had when you were doing word of the day oh, yeah. was um, arrogate. It's a verb that means, what is it, to um, co-opt something, which you sort of assume, assume, assume power. Legal, yeah, legal kind of jurisdiction over something that you don't otherwise have. And by illegal means or like. Yeah, or by, um, uh, oh goodness. Just Google the definition of arrogate. Um, <laughs> I'm going to look it up now while we are. But this talk. paragraph to me, I find it, it's just sort of almost comical. And um, the way that she's put it, you know, like, what do you plan to do with all your freedom? Which, because a lot of 
people who who colonized land believed they were doing the right thing, who thought they were helping and really genuinely had you know, had a very positive view of themselves. And so they had this idea that without rule makers um, or without law enforcement that, that, that was visible to white people in a, in, a, in a brown culture, the notion was that, you know, they are barbaric and that they are savage and that they, you know, it's all complete, it's all violent. And that was kind of a way to paint it that allowed white people to feel good about themselves for bringing in lawmakers and laws and, and law enforcement to then go, well, now you're free because we're, we've created a, a middle management of, of freedom and, and, yeah. and, and imprisonment. You you're know, like, free to follow our laws. Exactly. Um, and without understanding a, a great, you know, how complicated and restorative you know, and rehabilitative a lot of indigenous justice system, systems are that we still know so little about and because of how much culture has been lost over that time. Um, so yeah, they kind of, as we say, arrogated, which means to take or claim something without justification or without, you know, sort of, you know, by, by manipulative means. And so to sort of, you know, to say, well, what do you plan to do with your freedom? Well, these people were free before you arrived, but now you think they're free because you've set a line and you've set a definition of those terms. And often something that I didn't understand until a few, you know, a while ago was that when people sent priests and sheriffs and teachers to places like Australia, they didn't send their best humans. <laughs> they sent like the complete no-hopers, shitheads, drug, you know, drug and alcohol addicts. I just went, well, this is an easy way to move those people on. We'll give them a mission over in the whatever. And so, I sort of, it gives me the picture of someone who had no right being a sheriff and no reason to be, but kind of being able to say, well, I got promoted because suddenly there's all this new territory. New deputy in town. Yeah, literally. Um, and it's that you must admit the land is now in good hands. You just lift your lamp. Like, this is a good thing. We're going to, we are going to improve your life. That is what colonizers genuinely believed as they then went on to massacre huge swathes of people, yeah, it thinking for, it was part of the court. For their part. own good or ridiculous. Yeah, well, it, was, it, was, it was collateral damage. Yeah. And when, when I was applying the word arrogate to my relationship, mm. I, I'm not using it lightly because, for example, he lied about his age when we met. Mm. I was 18 and he told me he was 26. And it wasn't until five. It's a big gap. It is a big gap. But it was That's one that I found myself comfortable with at that age, yeah. even though other people wouldn't. Well, you know, I think when, you're, when you are that age, yeah. it doesn't worry because it's someone who's older and more experienced and that kind of gives you a sense of elevation. But to the people around you, like, if, like, in our, like we're now in our 30s, if we had an 18-year-old niece or nephew started dating a 26-year-old, we'd be... Like, danger, mm, danger. We'd be a little bit... We'd, ha we'd have cause to sort of assess the relationship yes. and probe a little bit to make sure that it was safe. But, um, but it yeah. wasn't until I was five years into that relationship and he was arrested and the newspaper printed his true age that I discovered that he was actually three years older than that. And so he saw it as just... A little white lie to sort of make him slightly more appealing, but really it was 
manipulation and grooming. And, and yeah, well, five years of a lie. Yeah. That's no longer. And then even... I told a porcupine to kind of, you know, get you into bed with me and then it, it panned out. So you need to know. And I confronted him about it at that time. Hmm. I said, this is what the newspaper says. Why are they saying you are 33? And he said, oh, they, they misprinted my, my age. Yeah, right. So he, conti- he had no intention yeah. of telling you the truth at all. No. And then, because by then I was so caught up in... Oh. And by then, it was, like, I was five years invested in this relationship. I didn't, I didn't want to give it up. And so I somehow managed to just absorb this adjustment of reality and move on with life. And we never spoke about it again. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's how, I mean, that's how, that's how it happens. You know, that's how people get away with all sorts of things. And, but it opens the door to what else has been lied about. And there were so many other lies. Well, yeah, I can only imagine. So we get to the chorus now. I will follow her on her path. Scarlet's walk through the violets. Just tell your gods for me, all debts are off this year. They're free to leave. Yes, they're free to leave. Leaving terror. So and we had a very key difference of opinion here as to how this was directed, which I oh, found interesting. Oh yeah, because uh, the discussion about who's saying what to whose gods. Hmm. Uh, what what was your take on it? Well, so. For me, this isn't sort of, I didn't look at this as, as a directed statement or I wasn't sort of looking at a, at a exchange between characters. It was just a description of, of the issue. And so that sort of, I will follow a Scarlet's walk through the violets feels very much like a Tory kind of statement about, you know, and, and Scarlet's walk for me is a very thinly veiled remark about the trail of tears. Um, and talking about, you know, this is what I'm, and there, there's you know, other references in songs like um, Old Bugger, A Sweet Sangria, I think it is, you know, where, you know, she's, yeah, where she's having a chat, you know, um, you know where, like that was, and in Tom Bigby, like she talks a lot about that being the driving force for her at this time. So it kind of feels like that statement, but the Just Tell Your Gods, for me, all debts are off this year. For me, that was about how in white culture it's about going you know, we're here now and, 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 you know, and all of your gods and all of all the creatures you worship, including, you know, the earth and it, you know, and all these things, they're free to go, you know, they're free to leave. And it was, it's a statement that for me, I you know, felt really interesting because it's often used against indigenous people to go, well, if you don't like the way that we're now governing this land, you're free to leave. You're free to, you're free to go elsewhere, you know, um, and we'll, we can deport you to any other one of our colonies or, you know, it used to happen a lot where in my hometown of where I live in South Australia, it was really not uncommon for police to just pick up, just effectively round up Indigenous people who are wandering the street and just take them four hours north to Wyala and just dump them there as a means of kind of, I don't know what they were thinking, but it's that, that thing. If you don't like the way we do things, then you're free to go. But it's like, well, this is our land. We have a deeper connection to this land why are we going? We were here long before you were. And it's still, and that's still the thing now. And that's still an argument that gets used off. You don't like, you know, what's being done to this council or if you don't like this or that, well, if you don't like the fact that we do this or this, then you can go, go find somewhere else to be. And it's just, 
Mm. Yeah. And on that sense of, you know, just tell your gods, you know, that it's, it's the case as well. So that's kind of where I, that's how I took it. That's how I read it was about a reference to what, you know, what, how a colonizer's approach to yeah. God and deity and of indigenous you know, connection to culture and to land. Whereas in, in the relationship narrative that I saw in this song, it was me following Scarlett, who is a sort of fictional feminine that is just making her way through life. Mm. And so I saw myself as, yes, I'll follow her on her path through the violets, like as in there are beautiful things to see around if you look for them. And the just tell your gods for me, all debts are off this year. Harked back to my religious upbringing where I really felt like I was trying so hard to be at peace with my life that this was a conversation between me and God, the Christian God, or any sort of related deity even, that they're free to leave, mm. like the gods are free to leave me alone. Yeah. Debts are off, all debts are off, meaning I don't owe you anything, you don't owe me anything. Yeah. Let's just go our separate ways mm. because I don't need your judgment anymore. Mm. Yeah, it really fed into it like that. I really am interested in us talking at some point about that sort of last conversation with God and what, you know, oh, that, it's that, not know. a last, I still talk with God. Oh no, like, I mean like, you know, that time where you do sit down and you go, right, like this is no longer feasible. It's nothing to do with you, mate. It's like, it's your yeah. followers or it's the systems that have been you know, made in your name. And I think those are, I'd be interested in us sort of chatting about that at some point. Anyway, so then we get into verse two. There was a time when I thought that her destiny should have been mine, big brave nation, but instead her medicine now forgotten. So just, it really, her, her destiny should have been mine was very clearly a stop with the greener grass situation. We talked a lot about that in Another Girl's Paradise. Another yeah. Girl's Paradise, but like stop imagining all of these other lives you could be have and just live the life you have. Mm. Again, reaffirming this lean into what you have, stop questioning everything. Like I was really, <laughs> I honestly believe I was misreading this entire song, but this was my experience of it from within that place. Yeah. And, and you feel this about Scarlet's Walk as a whole, as a whole album, you feel like it, it has had in your life now two very different roles where mm. initially you felt completely hoodwinked by the content that it kept you in a place where you shouldn't have. And then on the other side of the relationship, you listened again and went, ah, I've missed everything. Like, I, like suddenly this whole thing is a breakup album in the same way that it was a stay in an abusive relationship album. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And like, I lent on it so hard. When I was struggling with my relationship, mm. I was so unhappy, but I was like, but no, Scarlett's here getting me through this. Mm. And so she was there for me, regardless of my interpretation. Mm. Always yeah. drew strength from Scarlett. But once I made that realize, realization that I had misread, misinterpreted the lyrics and saw them for 
as I do now, it was just mind-blowing and made me love this album even more. Maybe we should do a little road trip about it. Maybe. I think that's a lovely idea. Mm. Then we've got 40,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the money's right now. Um, so that sort of, there was a time where I thought our destiny should have been mine. It speaks to me a lot about um, my childhood because um, I grew up in far north Queensland, which is uh, in certain areas that were very um, just populated by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and where Aboriginal com community and culture has a bit more of an appreciation across the board. Um, you know, there are certain places that you don't go, or there are certain types of business that you understand aren't for you, and you know, in certain communities you don't you don't go into as a white person. And I went to an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander school, and that is to say, it just had a lot of students from you know, and you know, there wasn't just Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, a lot of kids from you know, who were born of white mums and African dads and you know it was just kind of it was a much more culture diverse school than I ever experienced in South Australia and it was an odd experience being one of maybe 10 white kids in a whole primary school and and experiencing that as opposed to experiencing being part of a school where there was only maybe five indigenous kids or kids of colour or kids of migrant status and the, the animosity from white people towards brown people is very different than any animosity that I ever received as a white person in a in a school that was full of black people um, or people you know people of color. And so I, I suppose I had a window at that time into a, a, an optimism that came from learning that your culture is important and learning that you are valued in your culture and and having and the people in my life who I'm blessed to know who are uh, people of colour or are Indigenous have talked a lot about you know what it means to kind of come from such a powerful sovereign people and understand that as a child when you are full of optimism and you are full of hope and then slowly as you age have that really eroded mm -hmm. and there's that thing of like I thought that this sort of great world that I live in that I get to see on TV and blah blah I thought it was going to be mine like I thought I had a place in it in this big brave nation but everyone's forgotten my medicine and as I've gotten older I'm I find that there is so much more discrimination I'm awake and made aware of all the opportunities that are not offered to me and the just and the prejudices that I face as a person of color and the kind of political discourse that you can become enmeshed in 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 the working out of that that you know it's um so that's kind of what this this paragraph spoke to me of is like mm. what it means to be a person now who has arguably a, a, a supreme culture. It's the first, it is potent, it is powerful, it is rooted deeply in, in the earth and in spirituality. And yet, as you grow up, you discover that its meaning has been entirely dismissed and, and discriminated against and that it doesn't lead where it, where it ought to lead. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get to the pre-chorus, the second pre-chorus, which is, what do you plan to do with all your stories? The new sheriff said, quite proud of his badge. We'll weave them through every rocket's red glare and huddled masses. You just lift your lamp. Well, the, again, the, what do you plan to do with all your stories? It's like, go out and have your experiences, but who are you gonna tell them to? Like, seriously, you, 
have all the fun you want, but like when you hit 60 or 50 and you've got no one, like what? Which, you know, is the, is the alternative, right? Like if you leave that your, if you leave your first major relationship, you will have no other, oh, yeah. there will be you no will, other relationship. You will be alone forever. Mm, this is, well, that's what, that's what that, abusive relationships have a way mm, of teaching you absolutely. is that they are the best relationship for you and choosing not to be in it is to choose to be alone. There isn't a better person. There isn't a better set of circumstances. We're making the dog all sad with our relationship mm. talk. Um, there is, there is, there is this or, or loneliness and, and, mm. and isolation, which is nonsense, but yeah. it, it's real. So yeah. I love that lyric in a, in an Anna Turnheim song called Today is a Good Day, where she says, I used to be lonely, now I'm just alone. Mm. That's a great one. Yeah. Put that one in the playlist. <laughs> I think I already have. Yeah. <laughs> then we move into the chorus again. Oh, I was... Oh, sorry. Um, I wanted to talk about this particular paragraph because yes. when I was in a pagan community for a long time and learning about Indigenous spirituality and the Celtic Isles, talking a lot there about what Christianity did a lot of, and you can still see evidence of this today, is go, well, there's an existing religion here. And this is this is how colonizing has worked for a long time. Well, it's how it works, is to kind of look at the culture that you're faced with and go, how can I co-opt this and say that what you've been mistakenly worshipping as a god is actually our god, but our god doesn't like other gods other than themselves, and you've been misled um, about how things work. Or like... And this holiday that you think is about this is actually about the rebirth of Jesus. And, yeah. you know, this language that you speak actually doesn't have any proper structure like Latin does, so you should speak English. Like, it's that, it's that notion of your best option for preservation of your culture is to give it to our culture. You know, write, start writing it down, and we will teach you the words to use to write it that, that disable it and, and, and sort of... And, and mean that you know it's an or if it's an oral culture, it's very difficult to impart. Yeah, I think for the song swap for this episode, I was going to save a track we listened to just today in the car for a later episode, perhaps Pancake. But I think it also fits brilliantly now. Um, I, there's a song by Montaigne called "For Your Love." that from the very first time I listened to it, it just was like gut punch. Mm. And I didn't hear it until after, after I left that relationship. But now looking back, it, it's just so spot on in everything because there are lines in it like, you took advantage of how young I was and didn't know what to run from. But then right when they start questioning what's going on, they say, hang on just a minute, hit the pause button. Like that doubting yourself and your own assessment of what you're going through is so real. And then saying, I will be here when you wake because you have not yet been able to convince yourself to leave. Mm. And yeah, so, whew. Listen to that if you want some feels. It's a beautiful song. I, I heard it for the first time when we were playing in the car and I was like, crikey. Yeah. 
Well, next up, we'll be talking about Virginia. It's Virginia time. Virginia. That means it's the Krabby Apples episode. Yeah. We known as. stayed with the Krabby Apples and it's so good. Sorry. I'm very excited. I think my favourite, like, accommodations are with the people. 100%. We're mm. currently staying with the House of Lego Small. <laughs> yes. Um, we're staying with um, two beautiful ears with feet up in Holyoke in Massachusetts. And I've had so many people go like, why Hollyoke? <laughs> and I'd say, but I don't, like, we have friends. Like, there was no questioning why Hollyoke when we were offered free accommodation mm. and gorgeous people. I'm like, yes, sign me up for that, wherever it is. Mm. And it's gorgeous and I love it. Well, I love it that means that we're seeing parts of America that we wouldn't otherwise visit. Yeah. If no one else comes here, then why not us? Absolutely. Well, take care of yourselves, as yeah. always. Good and love um, from you two, similarly voiced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just make up which of us was saying either of those things. I think what it should be. We're the same person. Oh, yeah. We should have told you that. Oh, whoops. <laughs> I think what it should do, what it should, you know, do for you is when you can finally distinguish, because I used to have this with Ephraim and David on, um, drive all night, like every now and again I'd get a bit lost because all American accents sound the same, but once you can finally distinguish the difference between Bailey and Michael's voices, I think you've graduated as a person. You have reached an understanding of the Australian dialect that allows you to find the subtle differences in our accents. So, and perhaps, level up. <laughs> perhaps it means you should listen to more Australian podcasts. Yes. <laughs> what, I'll create some more. What a read. <laughs> What a shady bitch. <laughs> Love to you all. Mwah. The Michael's Walk podcast acknowledges that the journey they are undertaking takes place on the sacred and unceded nations of many proud Indigenous peoples. From the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, we are fortunate to call home to each and every Native American tribe's land we'll set foot on as we travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and humbly acknowledge their sovereignty.